0: Alright KISS Army, you wanted the best, you got the best. Now close your eyes, you're about to be podcast.
1: And with that familiar music, you are now listening to Podcast episode 80, which will be part two of our discussion on Hot in the Shade. Today we'll be joined by myself, Ken Mills. Gary Schaller, Chris Karam, Joey Haney, BJ Cramp, and Matt Porter. We'd like to take a moment to thank everybody that's been listening to the last episode. We have tons of people that have been on the Facebook page. Everybody over at KISVAC has been fantastic. So hi to everyone out there. We'd like to thank Norman Hazunga. We'd like to thank Scott Harding, Jeff Hoagland, Wally Norton, Chris Sinzak, Alex Komotis, Thorben Olsen and Chris Ann Colvin who commented we warn our listeners about the pool or water sound effect and go to the bathroom if you need to before listening to this show in case you have to pee so that I that, that thought that was pretty funny <laughs> Jeff Savantos, Scott Harding, Ben Mitchell, Ghosty Timmers Ludzel, The Sphinx Fortress, Kinetic 74 Mad Dog, Kiss That Sir's Corpse Parallax 1, Space Cat, Wada Badu 5150, <laughs> PX74, Mr. Misery, Expert Texpert, 1111976, Hot in the Shade CC, Red in the Sky, Jamie's, Dark Horse 77, and everybody over at KissVac and on the Facebook pages for all the great input and we'd like to give a shout out to our fellow podcasters History Science Theater they did an excellent animalized show recently and they've got more coming, Cassius and the Creatures of the Net, DB Geek, The Kiss Room of course, Everybody Out There Strange Ways. We just want to give a shout out to everybody and you are all good friends of the podcast. And we're glad you guys are out there. So let's get this discussion underway. When we left off, we had one more song to go and then we flip over the album. So check it out. Enjoy part two of our Hot in the Shade roundtable discussion. Okay, up next, Silver Spoon, which was fake fact, but this was actually written for the TV show Silver Spoons to be used as the... No, that's not true. That's not true. It's absolutely not true. I'm going to think
2: of Ricky Schroeder when I hear this, thanks.
1: There you go. Um, oh, wait, one, one, one last thing about Forever, and and, and I feel that I need to mention this. Um, I, I have my, in my notes, I always put like KR, which stands for Ken's Ratings. And for the first uh, side one, like Rise To It got 6.5, Betrayed 6.5, Hide Your Heart got 7. Prisoner of Love got 6.5. Read my body 6.5. Love slap in the face 6. Forever gets a 10. So if that tells oh. you anything, like how I look at that song and how I respect it, I, I think it's awesome. And this next song, Silver Spoon, got a 7 on the Ken rating scale. Nice. Uh, I, I love the guitar. Too long. Really?
3: Yeah, I agree. I agree.
1: <laughs> well, I, I I love the guitar intro and the solo is awesome but i don't like the background vocals at the end of the song it really <sighs> it bothers <sighs> me i don't know why give me give me a reason why it shouldn't
3: bother me joey and bj
1: let's start with joey first okay um yeah,
3: thanks. Thanks for letting me go first. I guess uh, I feel like I, I, I don't want to steal because me and BJ are locking up so well. well like I said, we're mind melding. But uh, uh-huh. hopefully, I'm not going to steal. Anything like here. I said,
1: I think we have a Chippendale like love connection yeah. kind of thing between you two.
3: <laughs> this is this is one of the true gems of the album. If I had to pick like three or four songs that people don't normally go to that aren't singles, "Silver Spoon" is definitely a standout. And there's a reason why it's on the box set. I think Paul even knows how good this song is. He's great on this song. Um, Even though you know some of the callbacks of the album with the slide guitar and stuff like that, but you know even like that staccato bridge, the you know I see the attitude that's in your eyes. I got no reason to apologize. That's just a that's a great moment right there. It rolls off the tongue and it's something different. They don't do that very much, and I like I like the uh, the gospel chorus at the end. I really do. I think it it just there's so many things on here that they don't normally do. I think, and that's what makes it a great song. Gary Schaller.
4: Um, Silver Spoon uh, is actually I think one of the stronger songs on, on the album um, Paul does a great vocal and very nice lyrics too um, it's, it's funny when people in Kiss sing about um, it not being rich or talk about it not being important to, to be rich or, or what have you kind of a, a, a weird counterpoint to some of their other values or, or behaviors but um, who am I to judge
5: BJ yeah, I could echo almost everything Joey said. I think it's a great song. It's a great Paul Stanley song, great verse, great bridge, great chorus. Yeah, I think it's great. And, yeah, I was really glad that it made the box set because it deserved that kind of you know attention. Okay.
2: Chris? This song is actually pretty good. I It's driving, it's got some edge to it, and it has some energy. Like And like I said before there, on s- some parts of this album, there's kind of a lack of energy. But this song is actually pretty good. I, I, I like it. It's nice to hear the guitars, you know, kind of up there and, you know, and just pounding out and it's one of those songs that starts off good and it continues. So, that's what I have to say.
1: You know, sometimes you need to hear a Wookie's opinion.
2: Matt, give us your
1: You know what everybody
6: said right on the money. I think it's one of the best songs on the album. I really like the the background vocals because I think in it reminds you of when they used to bring in other vocalists, even like on Destroyer or like certainly Gene's solo album. You had the group with no name singing all that background stuff, and, and I like it. I think it's something that really makes this song stand out.
2: Yeah, I mean, the backing vocalists at the end of the album, you know, they do seem a bit incongruous with what, you know, Kiss normally does, but I don't mind it.
1: All right, it's time to flip the album over. Everybody get ready, hold on tight kind of like on the Star Trek show where the everybody wiggles in their seats for a while. So here we go. <laughs> okay, side two. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, love it, love it, love it. Got, got dreams, it, like it like okay, alright, next up... Cadillac Dreams. In my notes and I know you guys are all now wondering what the Ken rating is. Five point five on this one. It's Ooh, a clunker. High. Way too high. Hate the horns. <laughs> I hate the horns. I like this song better on revenge when it was called Thou Shall Not. Ooh. To me it's it's some of that uh you know, you can kiss my butt kind of thing. I'm Gene Simmons and nobody's gonna take it away from me. So so you think I rated it too high, BJ?
5: Yeah. I mean, as low as I would rate Read My Body, this song is worse. This is definitely my <laughs> least favorite song on the album. So I this would terrible. be the one
1: you would you would dump.
5: <laughs> definitely the first one to go. Yeah. Uh-huh.
1: Now, it one of the weird things on this is uh let's see. Paul Stanley is credited as rhythm guitar, vocal slide on Rise to It, acoustic guitar Forever. And brass on Cadillac Dreams. So Paul played brass on this album. On this also, Br-
5: brass Cadillac Cadillac Dreams gets the coveted spot of first song on side two, which is just yes. ridiculous sequencing.
2: <laughs> it is kind of weird. Yeah, Silver Spoon would have made it better.
5: Yeah, oh, much oh,
2: side two opener. But by that point, it, it was kind of didn't matter to me because I was you know into CDs. But sorry.
5: Yeah, I did a whole podcast about the first song on side two. <laughs> I remember that <laughs> kind of a lost um, element of the of what an album used to be. Well, you know? when
1: you think about it, they should have chucked Cadillac Dreams. They they definitely should have let off side two with Silver Spoon instead of Cadillac Dreams. That's kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. So Joey Cadillac Dreams.
3: Uh, you know, I got a few points on this song actually, even though it's not very well liked. I I feel like I feel bad for. The city of Cadillac, Michigan, because I feel like when the fans picked up the album on day one, they were like, "Oh, this is gonna be about us," and <laughs> it uh, wasn't wanting to go back.
5: <laughs> yeah, different um, Cadillac altogether. Yeah, Gene was Gene was dreaming about those cheerleaders. <laughs> yeah,
3: <laughs> I um, yeah, the horns. That's I, I feel, and you know, there's been a few callbacks to what's been selling records better at the time for mm-hmm. me on the show, but. I feel like the horns were uh, wanting to be kind of Aerosmith, because they used the horns both on Permanent Vacation and Pump, and those proved to be big records, so that's my theory on that. Um, I see, and for some reason, every time I hear this song... Do you remember that uh, Fatboy Slim video with Christopher Walken dancing around the hotel?
1: Yes. Mm -hmm. I
3: I feel like the video for this would have gone that way with Gene just kind of doing that around his house and his mansion, talking about money. For some reason, I just see Gene dancing around, sort of like a Eugene Livy, like, unhip old guy uh-huh. to this song. Which he Kinda actually is at this point. Yeah. And um, and his lyrics, the thing I don't like about the lyrics is that um, I can prove Gene wrong. Because I think podcasts prove that he's not right. He says, if you can get it free, it just ain't worth a damn. And that's just not the case. I'm sorry. Bazinga. <laughs> Take that one.
6: Matt. Matt. You know, I agree, Joey. This would have been a funny video. I think it would be something where it's like a movie where he's in like a zoot suit and he's like the character in the movie and there'd be like dancing dollar signs or, you know, someday, baby, we're going to have it all. And I don't know. It's pretty terrible. So
1: basically you could recut the fire starter video. And yeah. Make yeah. yeah.
6: Exactly. <laughs> Somebody or, or that Al's is creative. A, this
3: is the life video.
1: <laughs> Somebody that's creative <laughs> with video, make a version of this song using part of the firestarter video, please. <laughs> that would work.
4: <laughs> Gary Schaller. It's funny having Cadillac Dreams be the follow-up to Silver Spoon in the sequencing of the record. Um, it, 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 ones the first is a very sort of humble song about not about coming from modest uh, beginnings. Um, And then Cadillac Dreams, um, in its appearance, seems to be a song that's a very boastful, typical Gene rah, 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 I'm so powerful song. But then there's one line in it that actually I find very charming, um, which is about driving in my Chevy with my Cadillac Dreams. Um, It's a very grounding, down-to-earth kind of um, lyric, where I think it's established that you can, can in fact, be a person with... um, I don't know, high goals uh, as far as achievement or money or, or success and still be sort of one foot planted firmly on the ground. Um, I, I think the horns are novel. It, it's sort of interesting to hear that, just like the the um, background singers on Silver Spoon. Again, makes me think of Kiss just trying to make a straight ahead rock record, and these are the moments where I think it really succeeds. Um, Ken, I know you've talked at various times about Kiss revisiting their Motown influences. To me, these two songs back to back, "Kale Dreams" and "King of Hearts," have a little bit of that, and I like it. Chris,
1: your thoughts?
2: Well, Kiss and R&B horns do not mix. <laughs> at, at least not in this instance. You know, it may have worked for Aerosmith or some other bands, but Kiss. I don't know. It's you know, I like I like R&B horns on R&B songs or in certain rock songs, but yeah, this song is just so misguided. And I, I this this would be my probably my second least favorite. I still you know read my body still being the the dreck of this album, but um, yeah this this one is just I, I don't even know, you know again when bands produce themselves um, things like this get on albums. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I would kind of agree. Sadly, um, it's, it's got a good energy to it, and I give Kiss credit for trying some different things. You know, it's one of my things about Kiss is that. Uh, you know, the Beatles could do whatever they wanted, for example. You know, they could always play any kind of instrument or do any sort of thing they wanted, but when it came to KISS, they were always kind of locked into a thing, and here we are, as fans kind of saying, it should be that way anyway.
2: Right, but the Beatles had one major difference, though. They had George Martin. That's true. George Martin was there to rein them in or to help them articulate their ideas in the best possible way. Right.
5: Yeah, and, but then again, yeah. Vinnie Poncia co-wrote this song, and I think he takes a lot of credit for it. He shouldn't. Um, <laughs> <laughs>
3: no well, that, should. that, that makes me lay off Gene a little bit more for this song, at least. At least he took the bullet.
1: But. Yeah. Well, Mr. Poncia will uh, pop up on our next song, King of Hearts. Paul Stanley yes. and Vinnie Poncia wrote this song, and uh, my Ken rating on this one is number seven. So... Uh, To me, I hear Van Halen's Panama in this song. My wife Mm. doesn't, but I do. Can say I'm crazy, but I hear the seeds of uh, Panama in there. It's it's there, I'm telling you. Mm. And um, the 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 pre-chorus to this song is pretty cool. I like that. I like that a lot. But it's great. But to me, the song falls flat, and I I would like to hear what this song could have been with a better producer. Nothing against Mr. Simmons and Mr. Stanley. And, and let's not pretend that, like, Paul was working on Gene songs and vice versa, right? No. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. so I, I just think that a, a better producer could have made this a better song. Joey?
3: I got to disagree with you all the way, Ken, on this one. All right. I I, I agree with your wife also. All right. And, uh, I Joey think agrees
1: is... with you, honey. Thank you. She says thank you.
3: <laughs> I think this is one of the true lost gems of the Kiss catalog ever. I, I don't think it could sound any better than this. Maybe I'm crazy. I mean, anybody who's on this track is on fire. Paul, one of the best Paul vocals I think you're ever going to hear is on this song. Oh, I right. even like the bang echo. I love everything about this song. I think this is a Lost Kiss classic. I really do.
1: So you're saying I need to revisit and take the Ken rating up on this one?
3: I, I do believe so. I think it's a nine minimum, and if you just go back so and listen give to it on nine. its own...
1: It smokes. I really have to give this the benefit of the doubt and check it out again.
4: Gary Schaller? Well, I think King of Hearts is probably one of the most underrated Kiss songs of the 80s and, and maybe one of the one of my favorites on this album. Smoke and Vocals from Paul Stanley. Uh, I think very good songwriting by Paul and Vinny Poncia. Um, I love the pre-chorus um, that, you know, when she tells me I want it, uh, I go crazy, I need it. Very, very good. Um, kind of an exciting song and, and probably underrated.
6: Matt? You know, I think this song's custom made for one of those kind of cheesy 80s like action movies. You know, like uh, it's Don Johnson and Ray Don Chong. If they can just get out of the way, it's King of Arts. <laughs> imagine, like, there's Cobra clips two. from a movie. I can see that. You know, you have Chris <laughs> in the movie, cut in with clips of Kiss, and uh, it, it, I think it's like Stallone like in Cobra or something. Uh-huh. This song is a match for that.
5: Gene would have been the bad guy.
6: Right. <laughs> that would have
5: been so cool. <laughs> BJ? Well, Joey beat me to it for once. Yeah, I agree with oh. everything he said. I love this song. It's my favorite on the record for sure. And uh, Matt, I love all those 80s songs from those movies <laughs> that you're talking about, so yeah. that's but why I love this song right.
6: so much. You can see it totally like think of like uh, it's. I think it's it's Cobra or Rocky 3 or one of those that has those videos like there's Stallone driving around in his car and you know all that kind of stuff this would have been right there
1: Sure. You gotta have Danny DeVito in it somehow <laughs> it's, it's the 80's we gotta have him in there so.
2: I honestly this song to me is just kind of an eh song it's not a bad song but it's really not that good either it just kind of fills space for me I mean, it's better than the last couple of songs, obviously, but, uh, you know, just, eh.
6: See, and that's why they couldn't figure out what songs to cut, because on one hand, we got some people, this is like the greatest song that nobody's ever heard, and you're like, eh, uh-huh. <laughs> what would you cut? What are you going to cut off the album? You know what I mean? Yeah, th-
5: this has always been one of my favorite Kiss songs of the 80s, really. I mean, well, uh, well, it's definitely a standout one that I always go to, that I would put on a mix right, or whatever, you know? right.
1: Well, in in uh, deference to my uh, good friend B.J. and my good friend Joey and my beautiful wife, I'm gonna have to check out King of Hearts a little bit more. So <laughs> for
3: sure, it should they should have uh, that should have been like maybe like the last single, and they should still play it live every now and then. That's how much I like this song.
1: It's a
5: really and this good is riff one too. that I
3: read Kevin Valentine played on. Yeah, Kevin. No, not I sure extent. where is
1: it. Kevin yeah, Valentine. Yeah, Paul
3: should have played Valentine's. this on his last solo tour. There you go. That's what he should have. Done. Yeah, that would have been great.
1: Oh my God, that would have been so cool! Hey, honey, just imagine Paul doing King of Hearts on the Live to Win uh, tour. That would have been killer.
2: It would have been better than hearing Lick It Up for the eighty seventh. Yeah, you know, right.
1: Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Could have skipped Lick It Up for that. Yeah, Strutter. Yeah. the The only difference is is the bimbos that were up front. The, yeah. the paid bimbos, or I don't know if they were paid, but they seem to be planted. I don't know (laughs) if they know King of Hearts, so. They definitely knew Lick It Up from the strip club, so, you know. hey
5: Hi, this is Bruce Kulick, and you're listening
4: to Podkiss. What we want to do right now is just take a break uh, and listen to some of the demo for Betrayed, so give this a listen.
1: next bj would you take the track the street giveth and the street taketh away
5: yeah i like this song i mentioned it earlier because when i was talking about the cinderella influence i think this one definitely has a long cold winter type feel Mm -hmm. um and it's a tommy co-write tommy Thayer. i don't know much to say about it i like it i've always liked it you know i got this album when i was 15 i know i liked this album a lot when it came out some of it hasn't really held up but And it's hard for me to be objective because I still look at this song the way I looked at it when I was 15 in some ways, I guess. But, yeah, I like it. Wow.
1: Uh, Gene says that he references David Bowie with the, hey, man. Mm -hmm. That's what he was trying
3: to
0: do.
1: Uh, Chris Karam, what are your thoughts?
2: Well, I think uh, Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars is one hell of a David Bowie album.
1: Yes, yes. Yes, and, I agree. And
2: the reason I say that is because not only does he do the Hayman thing, but he also references the song Rock and Roll Suicide. Oh, you're right. Yep, you're right. And, and two tracks from a, from a great album. Um, the thing about this song, I remember when we when we were listening to it, when it came out, one of my cousins um, coined the phrase, Paul giveth and Gene taketh away. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, this song is just... You know, it starts off with the Bowie thing. It's like, okay, he's doing a little nod to David Bowie, but then it just kind of like doesn't really do much for me beyond that. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's just I I think it's more notable for the Bowie references than anything else.
1: Yeah,
4: Gary Schaller? I like the street giveth and the street taketh away. Um, I think it's a good collaboration between Gene and Tommy. Um, it is. In many ways, kind of an unremarkable song. Like some of the, like much of the material on this album, um, could could have been done by any band. What I like about it, though, that stands out, is the combination of acoustic guitar and electric guitar. It's one of the things I listen for when I hear "Dressed to Kill," um, and I, it kind of makes things crunchy in a way. I, I like that.
5: Well, I gotta oh. say, I always cringe when Gene talks about the streets, like, coming from the streets and all. <laughs> He kind of did, though. I mean, he kind of did. did. I was going to mention that,
1: too.
5: I know, but when he says it in that Gene voice and everything, it just. Yeah. (laughs) I just Gene voice? So far removed. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well,
2: in his book, he he cites an incident around 77 where he's at the studio in New York and Bowie was recording at the same time. Mm -hmm. And he said, Bowie, you know, said, come on and listen to what I'm working on. And I guess it was Heroes. And Gene's reaction was like, "Eh, it's okay, but I really like your early rock and roll stuff like Ziggy Stardust. Wow,
5: yeah. Do you? You
2: can't I, call that. Heroes? Sto- I heard that
3: story too. Like, I don't know if uh, I don't know where it was uh, because he recorded heroes in Berlin. But uh, oh. uh, I, I, I do recall hearing about that conversation. Bowie was not very. Uh, I think Bowie pretty much just walked away from him after that. From what I heard.
6: <laughs> wow. Ouch, Matt. Suffragette City, Detroit Rock City. We're headed somewhere, but not necessarily with this song. Now there's so, a mashup. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I,
3: I think. Um, if I may, um, this is probably the low point of Gene's lyrics, I think, and I hate to say that because you know I like Tommy and everything. I know he co-wrote the song, uh, and I th- I, if I'm not mistaken, it's the B-side for "Forever," right?
5: Yeah, I
1: think it is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
3: Um, yeah. Either this or somewhere between, yeah. Yeah, but like just the yeah that that could be. It's one of the long song titles, right? Yeah. But yeah, just the the cliche lyrics. You got yours, I got mine. The agony and the ecstasy. I mean. He should have just given this song to House of Lords or something and be done with it. Yeah, there's an idea.
5: I don't think Gene put a lot of time into his lyrics usually.
1: Well, this one got a six on the Ken Radometer, so there you go. one gets a nine on the Ken rating scale. I love this track, You Love Me to Hate You. Stanley and Desmond Child wrote this one. And uh, the pre-chorus just kicks all kinds of ass. I wish that there there was more like this, I says here. It says in my notes. Uh, And Kevin Valentine's on drums. So, what are your thoughts, Matt, on You Love Me to Hate You?
6: We're totally out of sync on this one. I mean, to me, I think this one sounds like it's got the drum machine. Uh, I don't like that kind of lower voice Paul's trying to sing at the start. Like you said, That the chorus and everything, he sings in a totally different voice. If anything, if they wanted a different voice, they should have had maybe Bruce sing that first part, or Eric could have sang that first part, or wouldn't it be great if Gene and Paul traded off the vocals on the song or something? But it's weird. It just starts off like in that kind of slinky, kind of he's singing real low. I don't really dig this song at all. I wouldn't rate it nearly as high as what you gave it. I mean, it's... uh, The the, where Paul sings in his more traditional Paul voice, it sounds great, but it's almost like the song is asleep until it gets to that point.
1: Well, you know, I I had this conversation. We're my wife and I are talking about this album, and I said, I hate the beginning of the song. That and you mentioned the word slinky, I called it sexy or seductive. (laughs) Well, yeah, yeah. there you go. Utilize, and you're right. right. I even mentioned it would have been cool if Gene would have sang that part if Gene would have sang the verses and Paul would have sang the other part because the pre-chorus and the chorus is stellar. Paul is just amazing on this track. Right. But that first part, it just just doesn't seem to go with the rest of that. I I think that You Love Me to Hate You had the potential to be, like, an amazing, amazing, amazing song. And it is a great song, don't get me wrong, or it's a good song, depending on if you like it or not. But... uh, it just—it could have been something really special, and I feel that, that that slinky part, as you talk about, kind of takes something away from it for me, and I
4: don't know why. Right. Gary um, the uh, So You Love Me to Hate You, I think, is sort of, from, in my mind, the companion song to King of Hearts. I think these two are both really, really effective, catchy um, pop rock songs. Uh, not surprisingly, you get Desmond Child co-write, um, uh, no secret there that he makes great music when he collaborates with Kiss. And, um, again, soaring Paul Stanley vocals, very melodic. Uh, I like this song very much. I think it's one of the, the high points on this record. BJ?
5: Yeah, this song is really Desmond Child busting out the cookie cutter, you know? Oh. I mean... It's like Desmond Child on Autopilot or something, I think. I liked it a lot when it came out. I don't think I like it as much now as I did back then. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but it's it's fine.
3: Joey? Uh, just slightly piggyback on BJ there. Oh I, I God, did like the song better me. when it was called Poison <laughs> by Alice Cooper. Um, but I, on the other hand, yes, because there is some callbacks. Here. Desmond Child, of course, wrote that song too. Mm-hmm. So there you mm-hmm. go. Uh, I, I think it's I think it's kind of underrated a little bit, and I'm going to agree with you on that part, Ken. I do I, I like what Matt said. I totally agree with you, Matt. They should have used Bruce, Eric, or Gene to do the verses. That would have been awesome, and it would have been a much better song because of it.
1: It also would have helped um,
3: the band out. I feel
1: nice. Well said. What's well that? Said. It would have helped the band out.
3: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Eric should have Eric probably should have been able to take that verse for sure. So, and you know, it's it's I think it's I think it's very decent. It's overtly decent. Great screaming chorus. Paul's good on it, and who can't relate to the trapped relationship at least one point in your life? <laughs> right. That's the thing about Paul. There's a lot of relatability in Paul's that I buy, and I'm not trying to beat up Gene because I love Gene, but when when Paul goes for a storyline, even if it's not an autobiographical storyline, I buy it with Paul. Like mm-hmm. Paul to me seems his to have his feet on the ground more. Like with Silver Spoon, like he appreciates the things that he has because he used to be poor. But Gene, I don't feel it as much, you know, like on Cadillac Dreams. Right. And the the whole uh, song, you know, the story thing with Hide Your Heart, I still almost feel convicted that Paul wants to get this out. Like, it's not forced. But sometimes with Gene, I feel like it's forced in this album. Paul has a lot more relatability for me.
5: I am really looking forward to reading Paul's book. Oh, yeah. It turns out, you know.
2: Chris? I actually agree with you. This is one of my favorite songs on the album. I really like this song. And I've often wondered, what would have, what would this have been like with better production? You know, if they could have really given some more um, of a production aspect to it. But but that having been said, I love it. I think it's a great song. You know, even though Paul kind of does this, the screaming thing with the vocals a little bit, you know, it's still a great song. And it would definitely stay on the album if I had to cut, you know, a few songs off of it. Great song, though. I love it.
1: I think it's one of the better songs on the album. To get somewhere between heaven and hell, and to me, this is almost like uh, Gene's version of You Love Me to Hate You. Does that make any sense to anybody? Right.
3: Follow-up sequel. Yeah, it's
1: it's like, you like this, now here's my version of it. Um, I gave this an (laughs) 8.25 on the Ken rating, and it's written by Gene and Vinny. As opposed to the other one who shall not be named. Uh, no, uh, that's a little <laughs> joke. I have no problem saying Vinny Vincent.
2: Vinny Vincent. No. Vinny Vincent. Anyway.
3: Oh, now he's going to appear in your house. <laughs> yes.
2: Ah! Um, <laughs> Chris, Chris Sinzak, though, will like the fact that you mentioned Vinny. Exactly.
1: Hey, Chris. Um, hi, Chris. I mentioned at the beginning this isn't so much a heavy metal or hard rock album kind of thing, but it, it seemed like they were trying to do like rock and roll stuff. And. There's a lot of things lyrically that are callbacks to things, like we mentioned the David Bowie, Hey Man stuff, and things like that. But like uh, Shadow of Love, Standing in the Shadow of Love, I, I can hear Gene like going, remember that song? Well, here's a little yeah. bit of that here. Joey?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I, I thought that too. Um, it's not as obvious as Read My Body was, as a, as a Def Leppard, you know, being derivative of Def Leppard, but right. I feel like the rhythm tracks on here, the bass and drums, are very much like kind of a sped-up version of Women off the Hysteria album. Oh, wow. I always get that feel about that song. Uh, it, it's good, especially for Gene on this album. This is a good song. It's kind of tied with Betrayed, I think, as far as being quality enough to be on the record. Hmm. And it's one of the few songs on this album that I feel like... Maybe this maybe this song, he wrote it with Vinny, so obviously this not, this isn't the case, but I feel like it could have been on any of the previous three albums before this, and it's the only song I get that vibe off, off
6: of the, that.
1: Yeah, like, this album. could have been on Crazy Nights easily.
6: Oh, yeah, easy. Matt? Well, a little-known fake fact that uh, Radiohead stole the guitar scratches from this song <laughs> and put them in Creep. But, uh, yeah. Wow.
1: <laughs> Anything else? That's it. That's it. Okay, Chris?
2: I like the main riff in this song, and it starts off good, but then it just kind of doesn't go anywhere for me. Um, if this were a Led Zeppelin song, you'd go on a musical journey. This song, to me, feels like you're just taking a drive around the block. Right. Just- and, and, the, and the other thing too is that the I, and it just dawned on me yesterday when I was listening to this um, that the main riff also reminds me of the song "Coast by Coast to Coast" by the Scorpions. Nice. Which is actually yeah. an instrumental, but it's the yeah. same type of, you know, riff. So, you know, if, if Klaus Mine and Rudolf Schenker want to sue Gene, you know, they should probably sue him for the... It actually probably uh, wouldn't be worth it, actually. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't give anything. <laughs> but yeah, I, I just think this this song starts off strong, and it's got promise. It, you know, it's a cool riff, but then it just... It, it never really
4: takes off for me. Gary Schaller? Somewhere Between Heaven and Hell? Very, um, very good song. Uh... Lots of attitude from Gene. Um, Nice lyrics. And, again, Vinnie Poncia coming in and doing, I think, what he does very effectively, which is craft a very uh, solid pop tune. Okay, BJ?
5: I think it's a good song. I think it's kind of an awkward transition, like, between the verse, chorus, back to the verse. And I always thought the verse kind of reminded me of, like, Peter Gabriel, like, big time or something like that. (laughs) But uh, it's a, yeah... It's good. I I always liked it. Like I said, I really liked this album a lot. You know, back when I was a teenager, and so I think I still hold on to a lot of that. I can put this album on and listen to it and enjoy it. You know.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Our next track is Little Caesar, and I give this an eight point five. Uh, and it's sad that Eric wasn't given more lead vocal opportunities. Uh, the credits for this are Eric Carr, Gene Simmons, and Adam Mitchell. Hey, uh, Eric Carr submitted three songs to Kiss bassist Gene Simmons for selection for the then-upcoming album, and according to Carr in 1990, I brought three really, really good songs to Gene in April of 89. There's a ballad I wrote called Somebody's Waiting, which I did a complete demo for, complete vocals and music, and even did a 24-track of that one. But Forever was a real super, super song, and we didn't want to have two ballads on the album. I wrote another one called Listen to the Eyes of Love, a kind of ACDC thing that never got finished, and the other thing, which is kind of a funk rock thing, and I stuck it on there as a joke. Simmons actually loved the last song and suggested that Carr should make a complete demo of it. Carr and Kiss guitarist Bruce Kulick went into the studio and completed a full recording. The track was originally entitled Ain't That Peculiar, a version which is featured in 2001's The Box Set and featured lyrics from the Marvin Gaye song of the same name until Karin Simmons wrote a new set of lyrics together using the title Little Caesar, which is what Simmons used to call Eric when he was acting like a tough guy. So it was played live once on the first Night of the Hot and Shade tour on April 26, 1990, at the Country Club in Reseda. So what are our thoughts? And BJ, why don't you take this one?
5: Yeah, this is one where Gene's tinkering and interference, I think, harm the song. Similar to what he did to Into the Void, I think. Which, I've never heard Ace's original song. I think it was called Shaken Sharpshooter, something Mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. Which Gene then took and turned into Into the Void. And, you know, I would... And I think Gene did the same thing to this song. Um, I don't know how much is... You know, there's not a lot left of Eric's original idea, I don't think. And, uh... You know, G- I read Gene telling the story about how he's like, you can't call it ain't that peculiar, that's a Marvin Gaye song. What are some of your nicknames? That's how he tells the story about how. But then, you know, Eric Carr tells the story that uh, Little Caesar was the nickname Gene gave to him. So, uh. wow. But it's similar to that old story about how he's like, you can't call it back. People think it's about Jeff Beck. Beck. Yeah, that's weird. Uh, Matt, what are your thoughts?
6: You know, good song. I think this is where I really like Eric's vocal. He sounds so genuine, like he's really giving it everything he's got. And I think it comes through on the song where some of these other songs, maybe Gene and Paul sound a little lazy. I think it's Eric trying to give everything he can to the song. So I like it a lot. Okay, Chris.
2: Well, I think it's great that you know Eric Carr finally got to make his lead vocal debut on a Kiss album. Uh-huh. Uh, and yes, I do know that he sang Beth on Smashers, Thrashers, and Hits, but I don't count that. That having been said, to me, to be honest with you, and I and I feel bad saying this, but I just think the song is just okay. You know, it's not, it's it's good, but it's it's not a, a standout song to me. I, I do agree with what Matt said about the vocal, and um, <clears throat> and like I said, it, it is good that Eric finally got to you know write and sing a song but aside from that I just think it's I just think it's okay okay
1: Joey
3: I, I agree with you on that Chris and also uh, like everybody said the vocals are great I'm not a fan of the lyrics I just I've I've never liked the lyrics of this song uh, the, the the lyrics on the demo is better I think they should have kept some of the Marvin Gaye stuff on there honestly I think it helps the song but uh, it, it's it's a shame this is this is his only lead on an original track uh, it should have been Young and Wasted and uh, you know, like I said, I keep going back to it, but somebody's waiting should have been on this record. There's no reason for it not to be on this record that That's an ego thing,
4: right yeah Gary Schaller: I wish I liked little Caesar more than I do. Um, Eric Carr is special to a lot of people, and I never got a chance to see him live. I have to take um, I have to take people's word for what a remarkable live drummer he was. Um, certainly, I enjoy. A lot of what he brought to the live recordings and studio albums. Um, I don't really care for this song. In fact, it's probably one of my least favorites from this era, and sadly, I think one of the two that I dislike on this album. Um, I'm not crazy about the vocals on this track. I actually I think he's a, I think he's a fine singer, and he does a good job. Um, and Gene Simmons and Adam Mitchell co-writing it makes it, um, I think, a better song than than, a, than it could, you know, than it could have been. It still just doesn't do it for me. Um, they they played it live, I think, once or twice. We have a recording. Let's give that a
0: listen. Everybody <laughs> get we do <laughs>
1: I thought it was weird that Gene was worried about it uh, lyrically sounding like Ain't That Peculiar. Hey, because, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, because it it musically sounds like Ain't That Peculiar. And it, have anybody ever heard Rex Smith's cover of Ain't That Peculiar? To me, I'm, I'm, I'm going to play a little bit of that right now for the listeners.
0: Honey. Do me wrong, but still I'm crazy about you Stay away too long, and I can't do without you Every chance you get, you seem to hurt me more and more But each hurt just makes my love a little stronger than before I know flowers grow to rain
1: Caesar all over this so I'm surprised there wasn't more lawsuits based on this and and of course my wife was a big Rex Smith fan and uh, I got the album for her digitally and uh, I was like is that Little Caesar and she's like no no that's and I'm like no that's Little Caesar listen to it again so I'm gonna play a little bit of that right now
3: are any anybody else I know Ken I guess both of our ladies are in the Kiss Army and yeah yeah
5: but anybody else have that convenience too? No. <laughs> um, she doesn't dislike Kiss, but she's not in the Kiss army.
2: <laughs> what
1: about
5: no, my, you, Matt? My, my girlfriend isn't into Kiss,
2: but she will listen to a podcast if I'm on it.
5: Oh, uh, there you <laughs> go. That's a good
2: girlfriend. You no, know, just because, because it's me. And I, and I said to her, you know, one time, I said, you know, you actually listen to the whole thing. And she, and she said, well, you know, I, I want to hear you, and it, and it's interesting to hear people who know what they're talking about, you know, talk about something, because she, she doesn't really have any familiarity with KISS at all, outside of, you know, knowing who they are. Right. Like, yeah, wow. she said to me once, I was, you know, talking about going to a couple of KISS tribute concerts, and she's like, you know, if you want to go, you, you can go, you don't have to include me. <laughs>
1: wow. <laughs> Matt, are you there?
6: Yeah, my wife is in the Matt army and she tolerates me, but,
5: <laughs> but I think my couldn't wife care less,
6: couldn't care less about Kiss. My uh, wife did
5: go to the farewell tour, though. Very cool.
1: Well, we should dedicate this show to our wife's significant others and
0: girlfriends. It's forever. <laughs> she
5: was not happy about seeing Ted Nugent at the farewell tour. Really? Oh, I can't imagine.
1: our next track, Boomerang. A lot of people give this song a lot of crap. I gave it a 7.5 and I said, just because it was an attempt at uh, some sort of hardness and I've dubbed it No 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 Part 2. Right, right. Or No 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 No, (laughs) Again.
4: Gary Schaller? So the album wraps up with Boomerang. Uh, I come back to this song from time to time because it's just sort of fun that says, Bruce, turn up the juice and um, sounds like he's talking to a turnip. (laughs) Um, we're talking about turnip juice I don't know, it's like that chicken salad thing that Peter people think they hear Peter talking about in Hooligan Um, this song to me is like uh, it's in that same category as Love's a Deadly Weapon, No 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 No, Uh, I'm Alive Under the Gun, it's just sort of like songs that they had to throw on every record for a while and eh Um, It doesn't really do anything for me. Um, In my mind, when when there's a Gene Simmons song and I don't care much about it, that's a bad sign because his material is consistently my favorite on all of their albums. Uh, This is probably my least favorite song on the record, uh, this or Little Caesar. What are your thoughts, Chris, on this one?
2: This song, to me, when I first heard it, and even just listening to it yesterday, it reminds me of Animalize. I agree. Yeah, and the, this because have, of the guitar part. This parts. would have fit
1: in great on on Animalize. I agree. Yeah, a poor man's Animalize. And my wife would say, "Yeah, because they both suck." Oh, come so. on. Come well, on. That you that know, bad? actually, I'm a fan come of on.
2: Animalize, and when I listen to this, I think this is sort of like a poor man's Animalize. But you know, if you think about it, you know, there is a connection between Bruce and Animalize because he's on two of the tracks on that, uncredited, of course, but. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's kind of a. I guess it's it's a fun track. It's like you say, it's like no, no, no. It's and it's you know, a good way to end the album. At least it ends it on a little more of a, a positive note or a driving note. Uh-huh. If that makes sense. Absolutely, absolutely. Bj.
5: Yeah, I don't like it. Uh, it doesn't really have any hook. It barely has a chorus. So as a song, I don't really like it at all. Okay, Matt?
6: I think if they were trying to give Bruce a song that really lets him spotlight it, I would have taken the vocals out and had it been like a Joe Satriani, kind of just do it as an instrumental, have him riff over the top of it. It's a good, heavy, kind of fast song. But, yeah, it sounds just like no, no, no. And, I mean, the lyrics, it's funny. You know, everybody's going to those tribute shows or everybody's you know, everybody's yelling out as obscure as you can get. I think it's why everybody likes to yell out the elder because they figure it's obscure. If you go to a show and yell boomerang, half people, I challenge anybody, does anybody know the lyrics of boomerang off the top of their head? I mean, it's as obscure as they come, As I think, as far as Kiss songs. I Last song on a long you album, you know, and then it's just like, you know, if you next time you're at a Kiss show, you want to yell out something obscure, yell boomerang.
1: Okay, yeah, that sounds exactly. good. I honestly can't tell you the lyrics for this song. Like, most of them I can, like, at least fake it through. But this right. one's like, don't break down, right. don't shake down, don't something, something, something. something. Right. And when's the last time <laughs> and you really saw this thing? Like, and
6: and that's—I'd like to know—is this like anybody's favorite song? Like this, like you know what I mean? Is there, like, or is this one that's oh, that's my favorite? That's like Didn't top Adam ten. Didn't Adam
3: Black love them, got it. Right? Yeah, yeah,
2: someone's got not it. a Kiss fan. Adam Black,
1: uh, artist, and he was a Kiss K4 comic book artist. Actually, loves this song. So we go. dedicate this portion of this podcast <laughs> to you, Adam Black, you wonderful drawing son of a bitch, you. We love you. <laughs> Any, <laughs> Joey? <laughs> Any thoughts on Boomerang? Bu- 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 oh, me? <laughs> yeah.
3: Uh, yeah. You know, I, I actually, I, I do have a soft spot in my heart for this song, because uh, this is about my age. Like uh, I'm just a little bit younger than BJ, I guess, considering what he said. But I was like about 11 years old when I first got this album, and in in my neighborhood, like Thrash was just starting to peek in a little bit, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, it's sort of like you know, Grunge took two years to really break through, but you know, like '89, '90, Thrash started to peek its head in into the smaller neighborhoods, and obviously, this is they could say this is attempt at Thrash, honestly. Especially if you're referencing Gene, I'm, I'm sure he was very aware of Thrash. Obviously, he's no oh, dummy. Yeah. But I hear more of uh, a pre-Thrash song, uh, mm-hmm. "The Sweet Set Me Free." Yeah, in this song a lot, and uh, I think that's really where it came from. But obviously, playing your butt off and having a lot of double bass is definitely something that was more of the Thrash guy. So, you know, it could have been a desperate attempt, or maybe they just wanted to jam. I think it's a fun song. Yeah, and uh, even uh, during the tour, which could be a good segue. I think, uh, you know, they were uh, talking about early on the tour where uh, Eric's drum solo was getting cut and he was down about it. Maybe they could have used Boomerang as an instrumental, like was referenced earlier. I think you said it, Matt. Yeah. Uh, somebody did. Yes, thank you. And uh, have Bruce and Eric have kind of the spotlight for this song and do kind of e- either an instrumental version of it or have. Uh, Gene on stage but have Eric sing it just like they used to do with Young and Wasted and yeah. I think that could have been kind of a cool moment in the show
1: Well this could have been a cool you know how Tommy and Eric have the uh, guitar and drum thing that they do yeah. It would yeah, have been the cool if they tour. could have done this on the Hot in the Shade tour yeah. they'd done Boomerang and had it turn into their little thing That, that would have been exactly. a nice spot That's
3: exactly what I was thinking Yeah
1: how does this album rank to you guys overall? Matt, what's your thoughts, your your closing thoughts on... on
6: you know what? I, I like the album. It's not necessarily when I pull... Out all the time if I want to listen, but in a way, it really reminds me more of that time. Like you figure we're talking '89, '90. I was about 21, 22 years old. Uh, I saw them twice on this tour. I mean, it was you know, it was fun. You know, to still go out in the middle of the summer and see Kiss. Um, one little quick fact: if you're looking at your album and you look in the thank yous, they actually thank all the fans in the Kiss Underground Press, and they thank Kiss Mask, which my friend Frank Hagen. Created And I did artwork for that. So we I remember when this came out, he called me. He was so thrilled that it says mask in the you know, in the thank yous. And we Mm -hmm. were thrilled because then they gave us backstage passes when we saw him in Philly in June. And it was back when a meet and greet was still something that you got, you know, for being a big fan, you know, there right. was, it was packed that night and we had these backstage passes and it was, we got to meet everybody that night and it was really cool. So I think in a lot of ways I tie it to a very fun time, um, you know, and, it, I like it. I, it's not like you said, I think it is an album you can listen to from start to finish. Uh, and, and in just about the time it takes me to get to work. So I say thumbs up.
2: Chris Kerr. Uh, well, thumbs down for me. Um, th- I was surprised when I listened to it uh, yesterday that there were maybe a couple of things on it that were better than I remembered or weren't as bad as I remembered, but I still don't rank this album very highly at all. Like I said, it's my least favorite. And there's something interesting, too, that it, it ties into Boomerang. If you listen very closely after the song ends and the last notes are just sort of fading off, Gene says, have mercy. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I, wonder- I always wondered if that was a nod to Roy Orbison.
1: I think oh. that there's a lot of those placed all over this album. If you know rock history, you'll hear a lot of lyrical callbacks to a lot of great songs throughout rock and soul history.
2: Well, Roy, but, Roy had passed away the year, like the year before that. So I just yeah. wondered if that was their little way of a little tip in the hat to to Roy, you know, for being an influence.
3: That's uh, a great point you brought up, Chris. Oh. I never made that correlation, but that was the story about Roy Orbison when he died if I may, uh, Rick Rubin who produced some of his last sessions ever Uh or produced a song for him said he had been used to working with people like the Beastie Boys and Slayer and stuff like that and when they blow a take it's all like, oh fucking hell he said every time Roy blew a take he would go, have mercy, mercy, mercy
2: well yeah, you know, an Old Pretty Woman he goes, mercy yeah, exactly. That's, so that's, I, I, never, I, mean, I
3: never made that correlation. That's awesome that you pointed that out, Chris. I,
2: that, I I noticed that like when I first listened to it, that was my first thought because, like I said, you know his death was you know probably not even a year at that point, point. and you know Kiss obviously were influenced by a lot of different people, and I wouldn't be surprised if you know they just said, hey, let's just throw this on for Roy. Yeah.
1: Very cool. Very cool. Okay, BJ.
5: Yeah, I like the album. I definitely like Asylum and probably Crazy Nights more. But I'm gonna drop this bomb. I like Hot in the Shade more than Revenge. Wow! <laughs> Seriously, you're fired. Yeah, I think Revenge is way overrated.
1: This is BJ's <laughs> last appearance on the podcast. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I'm, I'm... Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> really? So that, you think that I, you I, think Hot ha- Sh- in the, the Shade?
2: <laughs>
1: okay, now wait a second. Let's let BJ tell us why Hot in the Shade is better than Revenge. It has better songs. My wife just said, oh, Lord, from the other room. It and has better mercy, songs.
5: Well, yeah, <laughs> I, seem to, I seem to be the lone Kiss fan that doesn't think Revenge is one of their best albums. I just, I don't get it. I th- I don't get it. I love well, Revenge. There's a couple of songs I like a lot, but... I love Revenge, but it's
1: not... it, it To me, it's more style over substance sometimes. I, I yeah. mean, if you take a look at the, the cover and the the image they were trying to promote at the time, I think KISS fans are more excited about the image, and what other band are you more excited about the image than anything else, if if not KISS? Uh, the, the Revenge album is based more <clears throat> more on what the image is sometimes than what the actual music is. And, and yes, it's a great album, but we'll get into that because we've not yet done a Revenge Roundtable.
5: Ooh. Ooh. I, I want in. Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: All Interesting right. thing is Hot in the Shade was an album that to me kinda had me going after a while. I don't, I don't know, maybe these guys should just hang it up. Maybe it's maybe they're done. And Revenge was the album that, you know, said, Okay, they're back. And right. that wasn't the first time in Kiss's history that that happened to me. Right. Well you
1: can never count Kiss out. Seriously. Every time that I've thought, Well, they're done they pop back up, it's it's like weeds, you know what I mean? It's like oh or Rocky like, Balboa. Yeah, Rocky Balboa, exactly. Yeah, wait a minute. So uh well anybody I else kinda, any
3: thoughts oh yeah I, I was going to give my final thoughts okay on, sorry um, I, I I'm kind of closer to BJ on this one I know we've been having a mutual admiration society this whole round table but uh, revenge and hot in the shade are very similar to me I know I referenced earlier that Bruce is really going for better nastier solos on this uh-huh. record and not and not shredding as much uh-huh. but uh it, to me it's just the same record because the half that's good is great and the half that isn't great has kind of weak lyrics and it's just kind of okay and i think they're very similar in that aspect and you're right about them um, it's the perception of the records but i think they're more similar than people give them credit for
1: first off let's talk about we talked about the album cover we talked about the songs we talked about the production let's talk about the three videos there were the three videos there was rise to it there was forever and there is hide your heart. Do you guys think that they missed anything, or do you think that those were the best singles that should have been? Take it away. I
6: was gonna say I think I mean obviously forever became a big hit, so clearly that was a good move back when MTV was actually playing videos, and mm-hmm. that was in heavy rotation. Yep. So I mean, as far as that goes, if if it's almost history repeating itself in the way that Beth brought in a whole new group of people, forever brought in a whole new group of people. You know, people that go wow, that's even that's Kiss. You know, like it's not they, there's no flashes of the makeup or the costumes or anything like that in the video, and you got this totally cool kind of, you know, ballad where, you know, like you said, I mean, people are, you know, girls are liking it again and and it's like, if you know, it's something to be said for that, so it's, uh, I think that, as a choice, was real good. And I think, like like I said, when we talked about the song, I mean, Hide Your Heart. They're trying to go with Bon Jovi or whatever, and, and the video, that's another one. Got a lot of rotation on MTV, and if that's what they were looking for, they got it. you know. And, mm-hmm. and maybe there were mistakes in the video. I mean, certainly rise to it. Just by putting 1975 and then having costumes that are nothing like 1975. and yeah, but Kiss then Inc. again, is complaining about that. Exactly. You know, if they had just put 1980... You know, Eric could have had his costume. Jeans kinda got that weird, kind of weird version of his, you know, era of that the melted kind of costume. Paul could have walked out without a shirt. I mean what I mean at some point you could fix those things for those of us who were paying attention at the time and go like, Yeah, we go well, that's not nineteen seventy five, you know, the uh but uh you know i think they're all good songs i mean certainly it's some of the better songs in the album but
3: this wasn't as big of a video album as crazy nights was because i was right. that mtv kid and i really got into kiss majorly because of mtv mm-hmm. honestly and crazy nights all three of those videos were number one on dial mtv at one point i think maybe turn on the night didn't make number one but it was always up there yeah it was, but it was there. forever was the only one that made number one on dial mtv because it was such a crossover and uh i think they even gave credit to the song for not not so much saving the band, but obviously it helped the band, it was a top ten, and they got a new record deal out of it, and they probably right. wouldn't have had such a good record deal if not for that It, Chris?
2: I've already spoken about the Forever and the uh, Hide Your Heart videos, I think the Rise to It video, you know, is most notable for the fact that, um, you know, Gene and Paul put on those costumes again, or mishmashes of different eras, but you know, there's also something weird I noticed when I watched that video, when they're kind of zooming, when they're sort of saying, you know, Backstage 1975. I don't know if it's Erica or Bruce, but one of them has a weird haircut. It's almost like a Japanese haircut, like this the way the hair comes off the head, and it's just very strange.
3: Oh. Ezio. They used Ezio for extras, right? <laughs> oh, that <laughs> would make <laughs> I mean, sense. That's a good one. I like that. But, you know, it's, <laughs> it's probably
2: more notable for the fact that they wore the makeup again, and, you know, those rumors going around that there was going to be that sort of reunion tour mm-hmm. that never happened, and that's been covered... You know, another podcast. And
1: I think that if they would have done a reunion tour around this time, I don't think it would have worked. I think it would have bombed. Yeah. Exactly. No, the seventies,
2: the seventies nostalgia wasn't hadn't kicked in yet. Right, right, right. Bj, yeah.
5: Any thoughts on the videos? Yeah. I don't really care about the videos. I mean, I yeah, it was a big deal at the time because you know everybody wanted the Kiss reunion to happen, and when they put the makeup on in the video, it was you know a lot of hype about that. I remember as far the, as seeing the, singles, the pictures
1: in Rip hmm? Magazine. I remember seeing the pictures in rip magazine and yeah and and it's a
3: reverse photo because paul star is backwards yeah (laughs) absolutely
5: i don't i mean as far as singles i don't know if there's really a song that could have been a hit at that time besides forever you know i don't think hide your heart really had what it took to you know it's just not as good of a song as living on a prayer you know right but uh you know maybe like you love me to hate you could have had <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, Larry Mazer said that he uh,
3: tried to book the tour when the album came out with "Hide Your Heart" as the single. Said promoters were cold, and then said they waited a few months, and then when they put "Forever" out, and they got the momentum, they said everybody came calling them after that. Right, so, right, right. Well, you know, I
5: I love "King of Hearts" and "Silver Spoon," but I wouldn't expect those to be hit songs. Yeah, exactly, in right. 1989. Well, so, which was right. the
1: first single off the album? Hide your,
5: Hide heart. your heart,
1: and then second was Forever. And then it was so, supposed
5: to be "Rise to It," but then they changed it to "Forever." So I think Rise they shot the "Rise the to It" video even before "Forever." Yeah.
1: That's the way I remember it as well. Well, let's take a look on at how they performed. "Hide Your Heart" on U.S. main mainstream rock tracks got number eighteen, and on Billboard, uh, we've got number sixty-six. It went up to.
3: That's pop, yeah.
1: Yeah, and then um, "Forever," uh, mainstream rock track uh... seventeen and on the billboard hot 100 it got eight so that that was a really good uh... single for them and rise to it um, on the mainstream rock charts got forty and on the billboard hot 100, 81. so it had run out of steam at that point now let's talk about the tour because no matter what you say about this album the tour was a return to form in a sense to kiss Uh, We had some cool new stuff on stage. What are your thoughts on the Hot in the Shade tour?
6: Matt. See, I loved it. I I mean, I got to see him twice, and in in as much as maybe Hot in the Shade wasn't the Kiss album that you would have expected from old school Kiss, the set list had tons of old school Kiss. I mean, they were opening with I Stole Your Love. They're Uh going into Deuce. I mean, now stuff that we're hearing all the time, obviously, I Was Made for Loving You was back in the set, Uh you know, halfway through the tour, and we hadn't heard that in a while. Now, you know, you hear it on every tour. But at the time, it was like, I remember the crowd going crazy for that, you know? and, And But my favorite part, and it's really one of my favorite parts of all... The Kiss tours that I've seen was when at the end of Detroit Rock City, when the Sphinx had gone down behind the stage, and then when he starts into "I Want You" and it gets heavy, and the the logo comes raising up behind the stage, that was freaking great. And it's like you know, to me, that's one of the greatest staging things they've done. The idea of bringing the logo back up, you know, like it's rising out from the, you know the depths or whatever. I love that. So I love that tour. I remember it being a lot of fun.
4: Gary Schaller well I I wish I had seen this stage show I think it from all accounts was just amazing and particularly in the context of history for them to have such an elaborate stage show after the relatively modest crazy nights presentation right um the Sphinx looked super cool Leon right looked super cool them coming out of the mouth of, of the Sphinx at the beginning Leon talking and all that stuff um, and then the song selection, the, the fact that they were making a very conspicuous return to classic um, songs from the 70s, very cool, uh, what, a, what, a, what a neat tour to see. Um, I enjoy some of the live recordings. I don't love the drum sound. I, I think there's something over the top and weird about the way the drums sound um, uh, on this tour, but w- what do I know? Chris?
2: Yeah, I have to say I agree pretty much with what Matt said. Um, it was my favorite of the non-makeup tours that I'd seen. I went to four shows uh, with Kiss out of makeup, and that was easily the best one. You know, again, it's like what like Matt said. I remember when we were watching it, when when I realized that they were doing I Was Made For Loving You, I was with my cousins, we just looked at each other and we're going, yeah. It, you know, it was really like, it was kind of like the road back. It sort of began the road back for Kiss, I think, you know, obviously, ultimately leading to the reunion. And sadly, of course, it was Eric Carr's last tour, but I think, you know, as last tours go, he went out on a high note, because I think the band was realizing that they had to pay a little more respect to the classic material, and they were playing it the way it should have been played, and it was just a lot of, like Matt said, it was a lot of fun. And I think it it just showed that, you know, Kiss can find a balance between uh, the classic era and, you know, the non-makeup era. So it was just a lot of fun, and i um, i love watching it on kissology and prior to that i had a bootleg vhs that i watched for years from a different night and uh just it's great very cool bj
5: yeah i loved it it was the first time i saw kiss and i saw them at a a big outdoor amphitheater called alpine valley in wisconsin it was a huge crowd huge show i was so excited my uncle who got me in the kiss when i was five years old he took me to the show and um I was, you know, they did I Stole Your Love and I Want You, two of my favorites. I just, yeah, it was great. I loved it. Wow. Joey? Yeah, kind of what BJ said. My first Kiss show was my
3: second show ever. Like I said, it was 11. I won free tickets that day uh, because I went to the Tower... No, Sound Warehouse in-store for Slaughter, (laughs) and I didn't get in. And when they cut the line off, to appease the crowd they started giving away stuff and I was one of the few people that won the tickets to the show that night very cool uh, had two tickets I couldn't find uh, an old enough uh, guardian to go to the show with me undisturbed so my mom took the bullet and went with me yeah I know no rock <laughs> cred here and not only that uh, we had just moved into this area in the Dallas-Fort Worth area my mom got her teaching degree she started teaching at this school she was brand new to the school so we went to the show, she sat in the very back of the amphitheater, like where it's kinda like you're you got a roof and you kinda don't. And she said, Just stay in the first seat if you're gonna move up and she was pretty cool like that. She sat in the back, on her butt, read a book, which it was hilarious. <laughs> she was reading like one of those big thick war novels, you know, at the time. And I, I snuck down almost to like the very front of the seats, like in the second area, and these really cool people let me stay on the seat because I wasn't very tall yet then.
1: Oh, cool. And
3: uh, so she came and got me at the end of the show. So, you know, I, she was pretty cool like that, like I said. But the, I gave her so much cred because for years after that, she still had students coming up to her as like, you're the teacher that went to the Kiss show, you know. <laughs> and my mom has the worst taste of music, Streisand, you know, that kind of stuff. But she couldn't live that down for like almost 10 years. It was so funny <laughs>
1: Well, your mom's yeah, going to be happy but because... But yeah, this is
3: a perfect set list. I mean, for me, it's a perfect set list because I didn't have, honestly, as much reference for some of the classic material that night that I did for some of the more modern stuff. Like, I popped just as much for Tears Are Fallen as I did for I Stole Your Love. Mm-hmm. And hearing stuff like Crazy Nights and Under the Gun that night, that, that stuff was so cool to me. I, I knew those songs actually almost better than the classic songs. Right. So It was a, you know, I was learning about the old stuff at the same night. So this was really my first night, I think, in the KISS Army. Yeah. So
5: who opened uh, when you guys saw the Hot in the Shade tour? Mine was um,
3: Slaughter. I missed Slaughter. So I missed Slaughter twice that day. And uh, (laughs) I did see Faster Pussycat, though. I love Faster Pussycat. They were great.
5: Yeah, awesome.
1: Well, you know, we get a lot of people that say this uh, every time we do a roundtable. People say, I never looked at it like that, and I made me dust that album off and listen to it. And I know that I actually have more of an appreciation now than when we started this episode. And uh, I will say that this does have a weird uh, distinction. This is the only Kiss album I have never bought. What? Yeah, I know you're thinking, but can you own it. Well... Uh, I was actually kind of out of KISS I was kind of out of everything I was studying to be a minister when this album came out and this girl she had a crush on me and she was kind of like but you like the KISS the the KISS has that new album out and you should get it and I'm like eh I don't know And, and we went to Kmart and she said look they have it here I'll buy it for you and we got in the car and she put the CD in and I was like "Yeah." Okay.
3: So, so Ken, you were literally somewhere between heaven and hell. I was somewhere between (laughs) heaven and hell, and I had this CD. So, yeah, or metaphysically at least. Metaphysically, yes.
1: So, there's a true story. A little bit of podcast fact factoid coming right at you. So, there you go. Well, thank you guys for being uh, part of this very fun episode, and I hope that the folks that are listening enjoyed it as much as we did, part one and part two, since it's going to be a two-parter. And uh, thank you guys for being on this show. Is there anything you like to say in closing, Joey? Uh,
3: second time on podcast, long-time listener. It's always an honor. Please listen to Rock Strikes 10, everybody. Okay.
2: Chris? Well, I just want to say this it's great to finally have been part of an album roundtable. I've been wanting to do one since I started you know, doing some of the podcasts. And uh, I was really glad to be a part of this one because this one was a lot of fun. And I, I think the differences of opinion and the humor and everything, I think this is going to be a great one.
5: Very cool. Uh, BJ? Yeah, thanks for having me. I've always wanted to do a podcast roundtable as well, so it was a lot of fun. I would do this every day.
6: <laughs> Matt? You know, thanks for having me back again. Nice to talk to everybody. And I think, really, like you just said, is everybody should pull out the album, and maybe give it another listen. You know, it's not one that I necessarily go to, but I had fun this week, kind of listening to it a lot, and maybe listen, listening a little more critically, so I'd have something to say. And uh, you know, I think everybody could go back and maybe uh, rediscover the album a little bit.
1: And both Gary and I welcome you guys as official co-hosts of the show now, so you guys can contribute more and. Be, be more of stuff so I'm glad to have BJ and Matt on staff full time 100% so there we go well thanks for listening guys and uh, you've just been podcast. that was hot in the shade thank you
4: and that is our show thanks again for listening be sure to check us out on the web at www.podcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook and on iTunes.
1: If you'd like to contact the podcast, please drop us a line at podkiss at gmail.com.
4: Big thanks to Julian and everyone at kissfaq.com. They've got great information there and a terrific message board, too.
1: Thanks also to Keith LaRue and everyone else at Kiss Online for their great work representing
4: the hottest band in the land. And as always, a big thanks to Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons, Ace Fraley, Peter Criss, Vinnie Vincent, Bruce Kulick. Eric Singer,
1: Tommy Thayer, and the memory of the late, great Eric Carr, and the late, great Mark St. John.
4: You are KISS, and we are your Army. Podcast is created by the KISS Army for the KISS Army, and it is available for free as an internet download. If you like what you hear on our show, go buy it and support the people who made it. Podcast is not affiliated with KISS or any of its members past or present. On behalf of myself, Ken, and the whole rest of the podcast crew, Thank you for listening to Podcast, the KISS fanzine for your ears.
6: Lucky enough to have made a phone call to find Eric Carr at home. How you doing out there? He came in, keeping me company. Let's talk about Hide Your Heart. Okay, what was your most memorable moment making that video? And now back to you. (laughs) Um, Actually, we shot this in Los Angeles. This was the first video we've done from the new album, uh, Hot in the Shade. That's what it's called, right? Yeah, that's it. That's right. And uh, we'll be going out to L.A. to shoot two more. But Hide Your Heart, you have any, uh, anything that you remember from doing this other than saying more light on me? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I remember the helicopter that was doing all that overhead, that great overhead stuff on us when we were playing. And it was really strange, you know, watching as you're playing, watching this helicopter coming from a couple of thousand Gave feet away. Trim, right? Sideways. A little off the top. Yes, a
6: little off the top, but it was cool. It was really great. Anyway, this one's called Hide Your Heart. There's a helicopter in the background. This is a, this is a pretty good video. We're proud of this one.